Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Uh, I've not visited this church before. How good to find uh, somewhere so open and light and friendly. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to be with you. Uh, actually, I was glad to see the little thing about the, those tiny moments of decision about, um, about recycling and do I reach deep into the bin and can I do it this time? Because I was going to speak right at the outset of this about if you are at all involved in any efforts, however small, in any efforts consistently to, to do something about the catastrophe that is upon us in climate change. And if you make those steps, however small, because you have a sense of the enormity of the extraordinary time in which we're living, if that is the case for you, then my guess is that you, that like me, you oscillate sometimes, you alternate between little bursts of hope that get you going and an almost crushing sense of futility and frustration. Does that ring bells? And sometimes you almost wish you didn't have the hope that keeps getting you up out of the slough of despond because it only makes the moments of frustration so much more difficult. If you've had that sense of, oh look, we're turning a corner. There was that great program about our plastic footprint and look at how that street changed and we can change and you're just getting going and you know, you've, you've reduced your carbon footprint and then you look and you suddenly see the Amazon on fire. The lungs of the world we live in, the air we all breathe, those lungs burning. And you think a millisecond or two across the sweep of that and all my efforts have gone up in smoke. And you're tempted to that sense of frustration and futility. Well, if you feel that, I don't know if you noticed that there are different translations of this great passage in Romans 8. Um, the translation we heard read just now used the word frustration, subjected to frustration. The translation I have says subjected to futility. But those two words I've just mentioned, futility or frustration and hope, are the key terms in that Romans passage. But... They're not terms that, as it were, oscillate hopelessly and, 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 and harrowingly back and forth, as they sometimes do in our lives. Hope, frustration, hope, frustration. In Romans, there is a definite move from futility towards hope. The whole creation is waiting with eager longing for the revelation of something in us, for something to go right inside of us and shine forth so that it can also, we can help it to go right in the world. And it waits with eagerly the longing. The creation was subjected to futility or frustration, but it was subjected in hope. In hope, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay. And then there's a wonderful move from that sense of frustration and hope and longing and the alternation between feeling I can't do this and feeling yes, I can. Um, suddenly the writer here moves and thinks about a, a woman in labor. And certainly that's, that's, you know, people who've had to deal with sickness and all of that in the course of, of, of carrying a child, and yet there's hope as well. So we move to this 
this groaning in labour pains, this waiting, this waiting, and then that moves to adoption. And finally, it returns in this passage to hope and says, even if we haven't got there yet, don't give up on hope. Hope for what you see is not, is not hope itself, but having the vision beyond. So at the very least, if you're wavering back and forth between frustration and hope, here is a passage which sets them in the right order and moves you through frustration towards hope. But the other thing that happens in this passage, which I think is really crucial and is an essential part of Christian wisdom and spirituality, which has recently been lost or erased, but is, thank God, being recovered. The other thing that happens in this passage is that we see that the God who loves us loves the whole creation. That there's no sort of impudent or arrogant speciesism going on in here that makes us all the more special. We're part of a web of creation that God's love. That's clear here. And yet there's a link that somehow what happens to us, there's a, we have a pivotal or a key or a hinge or a, 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 an effective role within creation. That if things get screwed up in us and with us, we end up screwing up the creation in a wider way. But if things can be realigned, if we can recover vision and empathy, then we can also have a good effect. On creation. In other words, the two things are somehow linked in God's own plan of creation, that somehow our welfare and the welfare of the world around us are intimately linked. If you want an earlier expression of that link by a poet who was deeply, deeply versed in the scriptures, uh, then think for a moment, this extraordinary moment, if you think about, um, you know, one of those great, great books that not everybody always reads, but everybody knows about. So, Milton's Paradise Lost, right? In which he takes 12 books of epic poetry to cover about 10 verses in Genesis. And um, anyway, it's only partway through book nine in Paradise Lost that he actually gets to the moment of the human being, as it were, upsetting the complete balance and order of things and reaching for the fruit, the forbidden fruit that they shouldn't have, right? Now, when he finally gets to this moment in the poem, Milton does an extraordinary thing. At the moment when there's famous lines, there's so saying, you know, in, in evil hour, her rash hand, she reached, she's reaching for the fruit, right? When that moment happens and the fruit is taken, Milton doesn't give us a long psychological analysis of what it felt like for Eve or what it, the human narrative was. He suddenly widens and switches the frame. She reaches for the fruit, and this is the very next line in the poem. Milton says, Earth felt the wound, and nature sighing out through all her works, gave sign that all was lost. Somehow, the derangement of the human ego that becomes just the consumer is felt as a wound by the whole planet. But of course, the Christian narrative speaks of a healing of that wound and of the need, as it were, to make the business as, which you would think we the particular concern of, the, of, of our redemption, not just a privatized redemption, but a story of good news for the whole creation. That link was 
alive and active and powerful in the lives of Francis and Claire, about whom we've just heard. And thanks be to God, uh, the present Pope, uh, taking that name Francis, has uh, written some extraordinary things, which it seems to me take us at a deep level of our deepest faith from the experience of frustration and futility towards a renewed hope that we really can do something. Here's Francis, Pope Francis's riff on this same passage from his great book, little, his letter to the churches, Laudato Si. Laudato Si, uh, let us praise uh, the earth, is, is actually a quotation from St. Francis's uh, Canticle of the Creatures. Here's Pope Francis. Our common home is like a sister with whom we share our life and a beautiful mother who opens her arms to embrace us. This sister now cries out to us because of the harm we have inflicted on her by our irresponsible use and abuse of the goods with which God has endowed her. We have come to see ourselves as her lords and masters, entitled to plunder her at will. The violence present in our hearts, wounded by sin, is also reflected in the symptoms of sickness, evident in the soil, in the water, in the air, and in all forms of life. This is why the earth herself, burdened and laid waste, is among the most and abandoned and maltreated of our poor. She groans in travail. Now, there's an expression of what is wrong and of where it comes from our hearts. But then he begins to talk about how we might turn that around, about how we might accept the world itself, which is why I'm so glad to see that globe turning on the very table at which we will receive, from which we will take our consecrated elements and where we will consecrate our communion. This is the Pope again. We need to accept the world as a sacrament of communion. The divine and the human must meet in the slightest detail, in the seamless garment of God's creation, in the last speck of dust on our planet. Extraordinary words from the Pope. Now, it so happens that both of those quotations in the fullness that I've just given you are gathered together in the uh, dance theatre performance about which that film was talking. So just to bring this into a bit of personal involvement, um, I'd already begun to feel that this letter of the Pope's was an extraordinary thing. And also, just in my personal feelings, that somehow Francis and Claire were no longer persons of historical inter interest, but living contemporary voices. When I was contacted by Claire Henderson Davis, with whom I've worked before, a, a theologian and choreographer um, who once uh, did a, a setting of the Stations of the Cross uh, based on some poetry I'd written. And she, uh, there's nothing ordinary about her request. She said, I want you to imagine that Francis and Claire are alive now, listening on the one hand to, the, to Greta Thunberg's um, interviews and on the other reading Laudato Si and hearing all the climate change news and are living in Abadarin or living on the Clean Peninsula, pursuing that. What would they be doing now if they were the age they were then now? To whom would they be speaking? How would it be happening? What would be the relation to those spontaneous movements that are arising? Because, of course, the Franciscan movement was a movement of the people that just appeared, and the church had to deal with it. How would that relate to things like Extinction Rebellion? Could you begin to imagine that? Could you begin to compose for me, asked this Claire, um, perhaps a correspondence 
between a contemporary Francis and a contemporary Claire. And that really seized my imagination. It was an extraordinary task. And um, I went down and spent a, a day with, with, with uh, I knew that peninsula well anyway, but with Claire and with Fraser, who, who would be dancing and playing the part of Francis and looking at the, the places. And somehow by taking a landscape in our own islands, a landscape which on the one hand has all that beautiful medieval re re resonance, but on the other hand is suddenly hideously opened and howled into by the gross sound of the Air Force jets coming off from the base and flying low over the mountains. So it's not isolated from the pressures of our world. So she asked me if I might uh, write a script, and she's since been working on the choreography and has found funding. And I think what I hope is going to come from this is something which will appeal not only to the reason to tell a story, but actually deeply, bodily, incarnately into our responses as living beings who share and breathe the same air and whose food comes from the same soil, that we can allow a vision and a glory and a new way of being in the world to shine back into the world out of our bodies and recognize the kinship between our bodies and the body of the earth. And that's why I think a bodily form, I'm a words person, so it's always nice when somebody takes the words and incarnates them in bodily movement. I think something extraordinary could come of this. And I think it could be inspiring to a lot of young people and it can be taken out to all kinds of places and to schools. So I'm happy to be involved in this. And it's one of those other events that has lifted me a bit from frustration from being subjected to futility towards being renewed in hope. And I want to close with the very last words of the Pope's letter, Laudato Si, the very last words, which are also among the last words of our uh, performance and theatre piece. Um, I couldn't do better than simply say wholeheartedly, along with Pope Francis, what he says here. In the meantime, we're all living in the meantime, in the meantime, we come together to take charge of this home which has been entrusted to us, knowing that all the good which exists here will be taken up into the heavenly feast in union with all creatures through this land seeking God. Let us, in union with all creatures, we journey through this land seeking God. Let us sing as we go. May our struggles and our concern for this planet never take away the joy of our hope. May it be so. Amen.